Hi, welcome to the Cato Institute. I'm Kat Murthy, Cato's Digital Marketing Manager, and you are at our monthly new media lunch, where social media and digital marketing professionals come together to discuss strategies for sharing the ideas of liberty online. The hashtag for this lunch series is hashtag new media lunch. Feel free to share any pictures on Instagram with that and also to tweet in your questions, especially those of you watching our live stream today. Today's guests will be talking about the possibilities and policy implications of using Google Glass to change a policy and spread the ideas of liberty. Uh, we've got an all-star lineup here today. Um, all the way to the left, we've got Peter Ildefonso IV. Peter started at the Leadership Institute in January of 2010 as the help desk technician, moved on to be acting director of network and systems, and is now the web and database programmer. Peter focuses on building technology solutions and sites that increase the number and effectiveness of conservative activists. Then we have Ian Spencer. Ian is the co-founder and CTO of Red Edge, a digital advocacy firm which provides apps, ads, and ideas for policy and political organizations that promote free enterprise. Red Edge's clients include some of the smartest and most innovative corporations, business associations, and free enterprise advocates. And then finally, right Next to me, we've got Peter Terici. Peter is the application developer for Generation Opportunity. He's been working in the tech arena as a web developer and network engineer for over seven years and moved to DC about a year ago to pursue his passion for advancing liberty and keeping the internet free. Um, Peter Ildefonso has very graciously uh, agreed to go by Pedro today uh, to, keep the, to keep it clear which Peter we're talking about. Um, now, Pedro, you have a lot of experience um, helping conservative activists, training them on how to use Google Glass in their work. Can you uh, show us a little bit about how Glass works and how the activists you work with are using it? Absolutely. Um, thank you, everybody, for coming today. Uh, as she said, I, I work primarily with activists in the field. Um, we've taken to calling them grassroots activists, uh, if you'll pardon the pun. <laughs> Um, but uh, in addition to uh, trying to train activists, we also made a, a webinar series focused on it. Um, I work at the, the Leadership Institute, um, founded by Morton Blackwell 30 years ago, on a simple premise that the uh, effectiveness of a movement is determined by the number and effectiveness of its activists. Um, effectiveness is a huge thing that we're dealing with nowadays when it comes to wearable tech. Not only can we increase the number of activists, but we can make those members more effective by training them on tools that they can use in the field. So when we're talking about wearable tech today and, and IT stuff, let's, let's keep in mind that there's not just glass, but there's a whole field of it. Glass just happens to be what seems to be the most uh, developed and had the most money dumped into it. Um, when I talk about activism today, I just want to be clear that I'm, I'm not talking about um, things like hacktivism and things like uh, that would be considered slacktivism, maybe keyboard warriors. Um, what I'm definitely talking about is uh, engaging in activism in the field. So uh, if you can imagine if you're going to a demonstration, um, we're running off the slide here a little bit, but um, when you're on the way to the demonstration, um, you need something that will tell you, normally you're not going to go to somewhere you've always been. Um, so you need directions to get there. Well, you could use your phone as has been typically done. Many of us don't have a dedicated GPS in our car, so we're just holding our phone the entire time we're driving. With glass, you could use turn-by-turn -turn directions, um, and get navigation tips to get there. Um, once you're there, you might need to find somebody that's there. Um, you can engage in communications with them through Google Chat, through a call, 
um, all through the device, again, without having to use your phone. Um, social media can be immediately accessed through Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. Um, the devices are very heavy on Google+. But you could send pictures. Um, pictures are as easy to take on this device as, as pressing the button on the top or telling it to take a picture, um, which I'm going to demonstrate how to take a picture in a second here um, with one of our connections. Um, but video is also very easy. Um, as simple as it is to send a picture, uh, a video is just a, another second of holding down the same button or giving it a different command. Those videos can be immediately uploaded and shared through your entire social network without ever having to use your phone. Um, it can be done very discreetly, actually, too, which is another advantage of these devices. Um, they are so discreet that many people won't notice you're wearing them until they're directly focused on you. Um, so while you're at an event, you can see there's a guy behind me in the top photo that's taking a picture with his camera phone. Um, the picture on the bottom could have easily been taken with a Google Glass. Nobody even realizes that it's being taken. Um, that's one huge benefit these devices offer, in addition to how quickly they can be accessed. Um, one thing that's definite to keep in mind is that if you're at an event, there could be opposition um, that you can photograph, that could be photographing you. You can video, they can video you. Um, so it's definitely something to keep in mind with the device. Um, I've got an exploded version of it here, um, just so you guys can see. The actual parts in this are not that advanced. Um, what we're waiting for right now, really, when it comes to these devices is the consumers need to decide what they want these devices to do. Um, coders need to figure out what new toys they can build into the device. And hardware manufacturers need to be making more advanced devices. Um, so when it comes to activism, one of the biggest things that we really need to start focusing on is what can we push this device's limits to to really start using it. And then when those limits are pushed and engineers and, and coders start seeing that, maybe they'll start making even more advanced devices. Um, I guess I'm going to do a quick demo. Uh, so I'm going to hook in my phone over here um, with the device and do a screencast and show you guys how to take a picture. activists, it can be instant. You can be sharing video, you can be sharing pictures, you can be tweeting, 
um, right from your face without ever touching your phone. Um, you can get messages from others in the same way. Thanks, that was a really awesome demonstration. Um, Ian, uh, you've been working on an application for Red Edge. Uh, can I show this demo video right here? Sure, absolutely. Imagine walking down the street and having good government transparency literally drop into your field of vision. Red Edge is doing just that through a first-of-its-kind glassware app. Augmented advocacy provides timely, location-based information, making sure citizens have the knowledge they need at the exact moment they need it. There's no other app in the advocacy world I can think of that is contextually aware and alerts you with actionable information just when you're near something. But that's what we've built. At Red Edge, every day is a hackathon, and this is just one more way we're innovating for better public policy. All you have to say is, okay, Glass. Ian, can you tell us a little bit about this app and uh, what the intended audience is for? Sure, well, first of all, Kat, thank you very much for having me here today, and uh, it's pretty awesome to be at Cato, one of the places I admire most in uh, one of the cities I admire least. Um, you know, we, first of all, when we, uh, when we had the opportunity to, to be in the early pilot program for Glass, uh, we jumped at it because uh, even before we had any idea of anything we might want to do with it just because it seemed cool, um, which is sort of how we approach things. If something seems cool, then we kind of want to be there and then we can figure out later what we do in it. Um, when we got Glass, it was clear that there are some pretty big advantages um, and some disadvantages vis-a-vis -vis, uh, cell phones. Uh, we've done cell phone development and cell phone app development in the past, and uh, we view Glass as sort of an extension of cell phones because the technology that Pedro was kind enough to show up to show earlier in terms of uh, all the hardware that's inside of it is basically cell phone hardware, just with some, you know smaller and with some little additions uh, to, to fit on your head. The big advantages that we saw over phones is that it's always available within your vision. So your phone, it buzzes, you pull it up, you look at it, um, it isn't in your field of vision. And the other thing is that uh, glasses, of course, synced with your head movement and can theoretically track your head movement and track which direction you're facing at any one point, which, as you imagine, can be pretty powerful. Uh, the disadvantages were actually pretty huge. Uh, there are very few users. Um, I guess there's, what, fewer than 10,000, perhaps, in the United States. Uh, the battery life is extremely limited. Uh, it requires being tethered to a network. So here at Cato, it works fine because there's Wi-Fi. Or if you're on the road, it connects to your phone. But otherwise, it's, uh, it's disconnected from the internet. Uh, and there's a lot of UX limitations. You know, uh, Pedro was kind enough to show how uh, you know, you navigate through things, but even using, you know, even using your voice has its limitations. Uh, and the last disadvantage is that it looks silly or off-putting, and people, people wonder why you're wearing something like this, and wonder if you're recording them when you're wearing it. Um, the first four disadvantages, users, battery life, network, UX, those are all gonna be solved with time. Technology is gonna get better, you know, it, it isn't gonna, um, it's gonna have extremely good battery life, it's gonna have a cell phone radio right in it. The, you know, feels off-putting wearing, 
that's also going to go away, but it's going to take more time. Um, so to your question, Kat, kind of seeing those advantages and disadvantages, we wanted to build an app that we could um, create quickly and that would play to the advantages of Glass. And so uh, we created an app which is location aware and when you're close to, um, in this case, a federal government department, it pops a notification in view saying what the budget of that department is, who the head of that department is, and gives you the option to contact them. Um, we were viewing the app more as a proof of concept and a demo than as a vinyl app that we saw revolutionizing everything. You know, this isn't this isn't Facebook or Snapchat or anything like that. It's a it's it's basically a tech demo. Um, but even something as simple as it is could be extended pretty far because it's network connected and can pull in lists of um, local government offices and things like that. Um, and so we've used it, viewed it as what can we use that um, is tied to advocacy because that's our business and takes advantages of what glass does well without hampering uh, glass in the areas in which it's weak. That is to say battery life and network connectivity. So um, sorry, it isn't really an easy uh, thing to demo and so I can't because we aren't right next to a federal government building. Um, but if any of you have glass, uh, if, if you want to email me after the after the conversation here, I'd be happy to send you the inst installation file. So, Ian, could you tell us a little bit about uh, future plans Red Edge might have for developing glassware? Um, I can't can't tell you specifics. Um, I can tell you that's something we're really interested in. Um, in our view, glass is still really limited, mostly because of the install base. The uh, as as opposed to uh, Pedro's group, who I think you know focuses mostly on on grassroots activists who are you know perhaps part of their network and really highly aware. A lot of what Red Edge does is um, is generating awareness amongst people who aren't very politically uh, interested already. They may have issues that they're passionate about, but they aren't necessarily taking action on those issues. And so um, where we are looking for opportunities are basically making normal folks aware of issues that are arising and then giving them the power to take action right then and there. Um, I mentioned one advantage over phones is that glass is synced with head movement. And so if I'm wearing it and it knows my location, think about Google Map. If you place a pin on the map, if it can tell which, which direction you're facing on the points of a compass, then you can tell exactly which building you're looking at. And so something that we tested very early was, let's say if we have that exact location, can you tell that you're looking at the White House versus the Treasury Building versus the park right on the other side of the street from the White House? And you theoretically should be able to do that. And we tested it, and we were able to do that. But the compass that's inside of glass at this point is inaccurate and, and unreliable. And so we couldn't release an app that did that, but we see that improving. We see glasses, glasses Sputnik. It isn't. It isn't something that's actually useful at this. I. I. I, don't, I think at this point it's semi-useful if you have a really specialized use case, but it's going to be future iterations that are coming down the pike very quickly, uh, which truly make it a transformative technology. Okay. Great. Thanks for that. Um, I'm sure we'll have lots more questions about the app later on. Uh, Peter. You've been working with Generation Opportunity, kind of exploring the field of Google Glass, where you can go with that, um, what the general implications are. Can you tell us a little bit about the legal and privacy concerns we're seeing with Glass? 
Sure. Um, thank you for having me as well. Uh, I love the Cato Institute, love the work that uh, all you individuals do at Cato. Um, and I just want to give you a little bit of background. Uh, Generation Opportunity is an advocacy, uh, advocacy group for uh, young, um, young voters, um, just young people in general. Um, and we uh, were invited into the Google Glass um, early user program. Um, and we really wanted to test this out to see how we can uh, engage in the future uh, with individuals. And so we actually started um, passing around uh, the Google Glass to all the employees um, um, and basically started testing and started um, <clears throat> deducing what we could really utilize this for. Um, and ultimately, there was a couple of things that immediately came to mind. Um, as Ian's already pointed out, um, the product is really bare bones. Um, the development kit is actually non-existent. Uh, if you have an Android phone, the same way that we develop for an Android phone, that's actually how individuals are developing for the Google Glass right now. Um, so they're still pending to a Glass development kit. But one of the, the um, there are major advantages to this, this technology. There are also major disadvantages um, that could be very harmful. Um, while utilizing this product, um, one of the more immediate things that stood out to me was um, the translate feature. It's fantastic. You can have Spanish, Italian, more of the uh, romantic Latin languages um, that can, you can easily translate from one language to another. It augments the text right in front of you. What's also really interesting is the augmented reality. I don't know if any of you individuals have ever um, tried like a game called Ingress on maybe an Android phone. It's a, it's a starter uh, company that's started by Google. Um, they're data mining the world uh, through that game. Um, but what's really interesting about it is you are having the first steps of digital reality uh, mixed with the real world. Um, you could have a a digital you know, uh, image standing right next to you, theoretically walking with you, and someone could, could build that application. Um, some of the more interesting things um, that is possible and plausible with this is uh, digital stenography. Um, stenography is a form of cryptography um, that hasn't been really utilized. It's hidden messages within images, since you can uh, you can basically have a singularity between uh, reality and the digital world. Theoretically, you could hide messages in plain sight, um, which is very interesting. Um, or you could even build um, physical stenography, and specific individuals could read a message that another individual could not read. Um, so it's, it's definitely, it could really change um, security. It could actually be an advancement for security as well, um, which a lot of people are thinking, well, this is gonna make my life less secure, less private. There are advantages to this. Um, it's just how we're gonna utilize it. Um, so as you imagine, this is a camera. It's running at all times. Um, it's, it can detect when I put it on, at what time I put it on, when I'm utilizing. Um, you know, it's a wearable tech item. It's tracking a lot of data. Um, it's not very good at tracking that data yet because it's a bare bones product, 
but we're, it's going to get very advanced very quickly. Um, and so, as you can imagine, since this can record at all times, there's been a lot of privacy concerns, specifically in the case of San Francisco. There's been actually people who um, have been just beaten up at bars for wearing these. Um, and it brings up a lot of privacy concerns. Um, so individuals have actually already started building um, applications using the Android development kit um, to basically start censoring individuals or basically creating the option of opt out um, or even being have the, having the ability to detect another um, security camera or a camera in general. So actually uh, a group out of the Netherlands has actually started building a product called Watch Your Privacy. And it'll actually tell a Google Glass user about the other Google Glasses around them. And it'll also show where there are cameras um, in the public arena. So there's going to be a lot of policy questions and a lot of great thinkers are going to have to start doing some critical thinking on how um, we can make sure that this technology can continue to, to move forward and make humanity better, um, but at the same time make sure that uh, legislators aren't you know, stopping innovators from doing that. Fascinating. Um, so you guys have all kind of touched upon the fact that this is pretty beta. Um, at this point, well, would you recommend Glass to social media managers or liberty activists right now, or do you see it as way too much in the beta stage? Um, I'll take that one first, if you want. Uh, so I would not recommend this in its current Explorer format, which is the second uh, version that Glass or Google Glass has come out with. Um, to anyone that's not going to be in the SDK, um, or the, the GDK, they're calling it. It's the Glass Development Kit, but as Peter mentioned earlier, it's really just the standard developer's kit with a G in the front. <laughs> um, because mainly it's just, it's not quite there yet. Um, a lot of the cool things that you're going to find that this device is capable of doing is actually pushing the device to its limit. Um, so when people are, are developing these and seeing these, I think they're going to see, oh, they pushed this device all the way to its limit on this particular type of, uh, of use. We'll make it so that that is so much more capable. Um, but but most of it, if you're not going to be actually involved in the, the hardware and software of it, I wouldn't. I would not currently buy it. I agree. I wouldn't either. I think if, if you're if you have a really specialized use case for it, um, you know, I, I think if you have a lot of folks who are out in the field and need to quickly refer to something that's relatively simple that can be placed up in your field of vision like this, and you don't want to have to use your hands to do that. Then I think it could be incredibly useful right now, uh, assuming it only takes you four hours to work with it, because that's about what the battery life is. Um, but I think there's no question that uh, if it's a beta, it's a late beta, and uh, we're going to be getting really cool stuff that lasts a very long time very quickly. Um, I also agree. If I um, had to fork over the $1,500 myself, I wouldn't have done it. Um, <laughs> And you can actually do that now. It's actually open to the public since yesterday. Um, so if you go to just Google search, Google Glass, you could actually buy a Google Glass uh, unit now for $1,500. I don't know how many of them they're going to actually initially give out, um, but it's open to the public now. I think, I think they closed that. Oh, did they already close it? I think I it was, think just it was just only April a tax 15. day, one day. Six. Oh, it was a tax day. Okay. 
So um, interesting. So um, I wouldn't fork over, fork over the money myself, but I do think um, it does give you an, an advantage on to start building an application uh, towards augmented reality. Um, and it, it basically, uh, it's, it's an interesting case scenario um, where a lot of people need to start testing this um, to, to basically see and uh, utilize the functions that can give um, individuals a comparative advantage. Um, now, if I had some kind of special case scenario, um, these, the Google Glass in its current form could be very useful. Um, let's say an individual who's quadriplegic um, can only, you know, really blink. Uh, it's a great tool for them. They can actually engage with others very easily, um, or even someone that's paraplegic. Um, this could be a great tool um, for a fireman, for example, um, if they could see the diagrams within a uh, housing unit um, and easily break down specific walls. Um, so it could be it could be niche and curtailed. Um, to specific users, but I, I think in specific needs. Um, but I do think that the biggest um, tool this could be utilized for right now is within the healthcare industry um, and really helping individuals who are uh, in, enable with, uh, have the lack of ability to work with their hands, um, which is, you know, it's gonna be a great tool. It's gonna uh, help these individuals, um, you know, be more, have the ability to uh, be more social. So. And on the battery life note, um, I wore these for about the entire month of December, um, really trying to get, I mean, I, I broke the glass hole rule, which is that you're not supposed to wear them all, all the time. Um, but I, I really wanted to see how it could fit into your whole life. Um, the developer, it's Sergey, right? He, he recommended if you really wanted to see how these devices work, trying that. And I found that the battery life initially was about four hours because I kept just trying to fit it into my life. Like, oh, I'll use it for this instead of my phone like I normally would. Um, but some of the like text messaging from it, um, that kind of wears off and you just go back to your phone. Um, other parts like directions, I actually like directions on Google Glass more than I like them on my phone. Um, that kind of stuff I started using more. And I saw the battery life uh, reach about 10 hours. Um, but people have talked about what if you're recording all the time? you can record for about 45 minutes straight before the battery dies. The device could record for almost like 10 hours, but the battery dies after 45 minutes. So the constant recording concept, it, unless there's something interesting going on, you can assume someone's probably not recording. <laughs> so uh, Pedro, you mentioned glass hole, um, which I think is a word that's been thrown around a lot. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that is? And So I think a lot of people, the only thing they know about Google Glass is the term glass hole. So when they see a glass, all they say is, I'm gonna figure out a way to work Google Glass or glass hole into this conversation. <laughs> um, which I've actually seen many people do, and I'm like, that's great that you know that word. I mean, um, but other people, there there is a true concern. I mean, if I was to walk up to somebody and start talking with them um, and they didn't know anything about the device, or they knew something about the device and its capabilities, how do they know that what I'm doing with it? Well, if you take that step further, you can imagine people saying things like, oh, I'm recording you right now, oh, I can see you right now. That's when you start reaching into someone being like creepy, if you will. Um, that's, that's the glass hole. And, and Google is very concerned about this. Apparently it's uh, their, their PR and, and marketing term uh, groups have been very concerned about it because they keep messaging glass explorers, telling them, hey, 
stop being creepy. <laughs> um, and they're starting to integrate the actual frames in more so that it's even more low profile. Um, I think both of those parts of it show that Google is taking very seriously the concept of glass hole. <laughs> it's, what's weird is I think people are freaked out by it uh, simply because it's so prominent. Um, you know, any one of us, any one of you, I'm sure everyone here, just about everyone here has a uh, smartphone, could have your phone propped up like this recording the entire time. You could have a mic running the entire time that's recording the audio of everyone around you. There's no, you know, you don't, you don't see that. There's no visual indicator for that. There's nothing stopping people from doing that right now. With glass, it's just a lot more prominent, and so it's a lot more obvious that someone could be recording or something of that nature. Um, I think that's um, going to a policy point. I think that's something that I want to be shocked to see legislation uh, mandating that there is more visual indicators when when um, when a device is recording and something like that, which is something that if I was uh, if I was in the position to actually be giving advice to hardware manufacturers, one of the things that I would recommend is that they voluntarily voluntarily um, make sure that lights are always on when recording and that they're on by way of a hardware circuit, so that they can't be circumvented by malware or something like that to have them record uh, when you aren't paying attention. It's a massive privacy issue right now with, uh, with laptops. A lot of laptops, the, the webcams and the microphones can be set to go active without the light coming on because the light itself is controlled by software, not by hardware. Um, so that's something that uh, I know if I was Google and the next iteration of Glass, I would ensure was a hardware uh, thing. Otherwise, I think the at some point, uh, the nanny state will get involved and begin saying, you know what, I think we need, I think we're going to mandate uh, hardware lights. And we're, we're training our activists actually to go to political rallies, political events, and record elected officials using the device. Mm -hmm. um, so if I was a politician and I had the power to say, nope, you, uh, you have to be able to make that obvious to me, um, that, that's something we can all really quickly assume our government's going to probably end up doing. Now, um, there are a couple things that you can, on the defense of this, um, let's say you're an individual who is, I don't know, you're in a lower income community um, and there happens to be a bias um, whereby, um, you know, law enforcement is targeting specific individuals. Uh, in this case, if they had a Google Glass on um, versus, you know, pulling out their phone and actually recording, let's say the individual was actually recording um, the scene and actually live streaming it to YouTube. That's something that the the authority wouldn't be able to uh, remove after the fact. It would be placed on the internet. Once it's really on the internet, it's, it's almost you can't take things down off the internet. Everything you do on the internet, I'll tell you now, that is a a record that will exist for the rest of your life. Um, and so um, it's there. But it's a great a um, activism tool as well in that case. Yeah. Um, so, Peter, that's a really interesting yeah. implication in terms of uh, filming police uh, in police encounters. Um, we've seen a lot of pushback uh, from various police departments, local governments, mm -hmm. um, over filming police on smartphones, that kind of thing. Do you foresee any uh, legal implications of wearing Google Glass in the same way? What, um, what do you think that might look like? I'm sure there's going to be individuals that will be arrested for this type of technology uh, under wiretapping laws. Um, I don't know much about them, but I can imagine them utilizing uh, the laws in that in that way. Um, but um, I was actually I wanted to bring up this point earlier. 
Um, I don't know, how many individuals in this room uh, have opted into a insurance company putting a tracking device into your car to lower your insurance? Anyone? No, no one? Okay, so, okay, so actually insurance companies, and I can imagine younger individuals doing this, are actually lower, uh, offer lower rates if you put a tracking device so they can start measuring uh, your, your driving skills and how you drive, and basically your risk, ultimately risk management. Um, and there's a lot of wearable tech, um, for example, besides Google Glass, it's actually starting to be very popular, it's a Fitbit, and that's actually tracking your, uh, you know, your everyday routine, your health routine. Um, so I can imagine uh, as this technology starts to expand, you're gonna see private corporations want to lower their risk by um, allowing you to opt in to utilize these specific tools. Uh, for example, in the case of Fitbit, I could imagine a healthcare provider um, wanting that data um, to see if you're at lower risk for them. That's an excellent point, because I, I think to that, uh, the next generation of phones that come out, this sort of next wave of phones later this year, um, a lot of people are predicting that they're gonna have a lot more health measurement uh, mm -hmm. capabilities. So. Um, recreate a bit of what Fitbit does, heart rate monitoring, um, all that sort of thing, all built right into the device, all actively recording all the time unless you specifically tell it not to. Um, when you think about how cell phones can be used to track someone's location, even if they, you know, even if you don't have the GPS actively running, you aren't running Google Maps, right now law enforcement can go back to the phone and see, you know, where was your cell phone at what time, at what time of day. Uh, there's no reason it couldn't also be used by authorities to see, well, what was your heart rate at this at this minute? Um, how many steps did it detect you taking at this time? How rapid were those steps um, within a certain period of time? Did you, you know, so was someone running? Uh, all that sort of thing. There's, I mean, all that is going to be recorded. There's no reason it couldn't be taken I mean, off of a device. All that could point. be used in a civil lawsuit right now. I mean, you can in use civil... it in a criminal, but they definitely allow that kind of stuff in a yeah. criminal. A civil uh, lawsuit right now. And, and so that's, I mean, this is a little unrelated to glass, but there's no question that there's a convergence between cell phones and, and what glass is right now. And the future of cell phones, at least the immediate future, is going to be health monitoring um, stuff. So. so you've all been talking uh, a little bit about augmented reality. Um, can you explain a little bit about how you envision that and if you think uh, Google Glass is going to be the next step or if there'll be a shift to some different type of wearable tech or other types of tech. Well, it's all right if I take that one at least to start. Um, so I think augmented reality is incredibly important and the key word, of course, is, is augmented, which is that um, it's situational and it's either providing you information or it's recording information based off the context that you're wearing it within. Um, Separately, there's virtual reality, which, of course, you know, people have talked about for a long time, but is only now becoming kind of, you know, realistic. Uh, I think probably only eight people in all of Washington, D.C. had ever heard of Oculus before two weeks ago when <laughs> Facebook bought them. But um, in case you haven't, Oculus is, a, is basically a giant virtual reality headset that goes over your entire, over your eyes, and so you can't see anything else. It's in your entire field of vision. Um, but it can recognize head movement. And so if you're playing a video game, which is primarily what the creators, at least so far, have thought of using it for, um, it can track your head movement within a video game. And so if you have a controller, and you, a classic example is you're, it's like a shooter game or something like that, your head movement tracks to what you're seeing within the game. 
and um, and it blacks everything out. Um, that sort of virtual reality, I think, is going to eventually meet with augmented reality devices, where with glass, the only notification you get is in your peripheral vision, like think right up here. With virtual reality, it's total coverage. What we're all expecting is that it's going to be total coverage, but that you can see through. And because it's constantly recording, you'll have things like facial recognition say, here's Peter Tarishi, I'm friends with him, and it recognizes him and then places a box in my field of vision over his face. If I happen to have forgotten his name, it can tell me. I think that's sort of where we're, where the convergence is going to be towards. But there's obviously a lot of serious technical challenges for that, not just in terms of battery life and processing power, but really just in terms of optic capabilities. Is that in the form of a, uh, you know, contact lenses, or is it in the form of full coverage glasses or something like that? Um, but I think augmented reality is sort of a basically a stepping stone to to full 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 coverage is what I call it. And the hardware capabilities to do what he was just talking about is is incredible right now. Like. This tiny screen only runs for 45 minutes when in constant use. Mm. To do that for a whole screen would, would be a very large device, at least for consumer tech. It certainly would be right now, but if you imagine, um, well, how quickly cell phones have, have progressed, I, mean, I don't think it's real, unrealistic to think that in two or three years the power will be there. It's funny, with augmented reality, the main limitations are basically uh, battery life and it's really thermal efficiency. Right? How much energy is it using to, to record certain things? With virtual reality, it's, it's actually a different challenge. It's more about what we call latency, which is the speed of recognizing that someone has moved their head and then running the calculations to update what's in their field of vision to reflect that movement. Um, that's like That really high latency requires incredible power, which we are certainly not at yet. Not, not close. <laughs> Great. Well, you're all glass users or glass wearers. Um, how exactly are you, each of you, using glass in your personal day-to-day -day lives? Um, what features are you excited about? What features do you think need more development? And what are you looking forward to seeing from glass? Um, I personally use it a lot for directions. Um, uh, my phone's over there, which is a separate issue I'm freaking out about. But um, So you can imagine holding a device in your hand um, I drive a stick shift vehicle, so I'm steering, I'm shifting, and I've got the device in my hand. Um, that's a problem. <laughs> so the directions are actually quite good. If I turn my head, it'll tell me which direction I'm looking. Um, great features. And it's something that a phone can't give me right now. Like, I can't really turn my phone. Um, not, not much otherwise other than that. There's always the gimmicky side of it, which is taking pictures. But. Um, I, I don't really use it much outside of work right now. Um, so I've actually primarily been, I haven't, we, we've been testing it um, within our uh, office. Um, outside of that, I'm actually the holder of the glass, so I've been actually testing it with a couple of things. Um, just for fun, have you guys have ever seen an AR drone? Um, it's one of those, uh, it's, well, an AR drone is just like a $200, $300 drone you could buy off the internet. Long story short, someone's built a uh, library that you can control um, from a web browser to control the drone. One of the things I've been working on for fun is actually having the ability to control the drone from the glass and actually being able to see from the camera of the drone. Um, and that actually is something that could be the future as well. Um, 
you know, uh, having some kind of, uh, um, you know, drone device that you could actually see from or see through um, with wearable tech like this. Um, so. Creepy people are going to have a field day with all the stuff that's <laughs> right. soon to be available. And you can imagine if, if you had just regular glasses on, um, some of you are wearing glasses in the audience right now, you could have that in, in years from now, you could have that kind of tech right in your glasses and no one would even know what you're, what you're doing with it. You could be controlling a drone from your glasses and just be sitting there. You could be sitting right here. I mean, uh, it's, it's definitely something that day-to-day uh, -day use, once they deal with the, the low pro, that, that low profile issue that Ian brought up, that who knows what the capabilities of these devices are. So um, we've kind of touched upon some of the controversies um, in terms of privacy and um, all of the stuff happening in San Francisco now um, with the anti-techie movement there. Um, have any of you guys had any negative experiences while wearing glass? So I wore to a, uh, I've worn it out six or seven times to bars, um, literally just to elicit reactions from people. Um, first off, I will tell you, nobody freaks out about anything other than the NSA. Um, that's their initial reaction every time is, uh, what if the NSA is watching me? Um, I, yeah. I mean, you should assume it's watching you at any time. That's a good point. <laughs> um, but in general, nobody freaks out. Occasionally, people are like, why are you wearing that? And I'll explain to them the, the premise of, I'm trying to elicit reactions from people. But the vast majority of the time, people are just like, what is that thing? Um, I've had one negative reaction. I was over at Hill Country uh, for a friend's birthday. I, the head of Microsoft's uh, governmental affairs department, actually, I wore a glass to that. Make sure to rub that in his face just a little bit. But uh, I told him, you guys need to get on that. Um, there was a man that I ran into there who, who started yelling loudly, why are you recording me? Why are you recording me? And I finally had to clarify, you're not doing anything interesting. I don't know why I would be bothering recording you. Um, and I just took the device <laughs> off and walked away. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess you're going to see that from some people, but most people are just interested in it. Yeah, I don't know. We have, I haven't really seen a negative reaction. Most people are just curious, want to try it on themselves. Likewise, I've seen a lot of people that are curious um, or actually don't even realize it's actually there until after the fact. Um, I've actually wanted to test it out and see if anybody in Congress noticed when I walked in with the, uh, into the building with them, um, put them on, wore them, walked all around Congress. Nope, nobody even mentioned anything to me about it. Um, one of the few things I've been kind of worried about was the microcontroller um, wondering how that looks under an x-ray and like not being harassed at the airport. Um, uh, they've actually um, either, I don't know how they're screening for it or how they're identifying if it's a microcontroller or they can't even tell the difference between that and a cell phone. But nobody's actually even mentioned that and I've flown with them a couple of times on uh, airplanes. Um, other than that, um, I actually went to a couple of the museums um, here and uh, I could have e easily taken uh, photos of you know, all the precious arts that they don't allow individuals to take photos with, um, if you wanted to in this case, um, and upload them immediately. Um, and actually the security guard, when I was walking out, she's, she actually mentioned to me, she's like, is that Google Glasses? And I'm like, oh yeah, no, the, you know, yeah. And I was like, oh shoot, man. She's gonna like, wanna look at the photos and see if I took any photos of anything. And then she was, all she wanted to do was she wanted to check them out. She wanted to look at them. Um, 
And, um, you know, I think a lot of you are fascinated by technology and there's great things that can come from um, this type of device. Um, it's just, we can't let, uh, you know, negative Nancy's take us down and, <laughs> and uh, you know, destroy the future from, you know, let's get to the future quicker, basically, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I haven't had any uh, kind of negative scenarios. I think a lot of the bad scenes are happening in, um, in San Francisco, whereby, um, you know, there's actually so many developers there that it's actually created like a second class kind of citizen scenario um, in the city. Um, and I don't think a lot of people that are not within the tech arena, uh, they don't base, they basically don't like the attitude that's uh, the, the culture that's starting to grow in that manner. Uh, I think so much, it's not so much um, that Google Glass is evil and they want to destroy it. I think it's just a sign of um, the same way that people have um, um, anger for wealth. Um, it's kind of the same scenario uh, where, whereby they want to target these individuals because they are a developer or, um, you know, they're working in this field. Um, so. And I think Google could really show some corporate responsibility here and alleviate a lot of people's concerns by saying, we're not going to work with federal government requests, any government requests, for data from these devices. Um, we've seen companies do that. Uh, uh, LeVar Lavinson did it uh, with his Snowden uh, emails, and, and he got shut down. Google's large enough that he, they would not be shut down. Um, and simultaneously, they would uh, alleviate a lot of our concerns of, well, what's that device doing? Who's who's that being reported to? So if Google Google's really holding the keys for that type of success and and concerns for the device, is if they were to come out and say we're not going to comply with this device, um, I think a lot of people would be a lot less concerned. So one of the things that I was most excited about when I first heard about Google Glass being in development um, was I, I know Pedro you called this a little bit uh, gimmicky earlier, but the uh, photo feature. Uh, I'm the kind of person, I've got about 17,000 photos in my camera reel here. Um, no, really, I take hundreds every day. Uh. Um, but what what is the photo quality like? Uh, does it really give you that kind of like uh, first person point of view shot? But do you like using it? Do you think that a secondary camera is still kind of something you would want to have on hand? Um, I can't remember the specs right off the top of my head. Do you guys remember the... The megapixel? It's it's relatively low. It's like five megapixels, but it has a relatively wide um, field, uh, field, vision. field vision. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you saw the picture I took earlier. I think I caught from one side of the room all the way to the other. Um, I took these to a, a conference and took a lot of photos of them just so I could expose people to what photos from these devices look like. I was shocked at how wide the angle was. Um, I think it's wider of an angle than my cell phone when zoomed all the way out. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely, they're trying to get the what I'm seeing from my eye, not, not like zooming in and things like that. Mm -hmm. But it can store, I mean, it's a 16 gig storage. I think each photo is 120 megs. So you can store a ton of photos on here on device. And then the second it connects to the internet, it syncs with your Google Plus account. So all of those photos are immediately backed up. Useless for artistic purposes. It's helpful for documentation purposes. Yeah. yeah. I spoke to a photographer who said that they'd really envision an app where they could be using a high-end camera. And you can imagine with, with a camera, if you wanted to take it from a different angle, now you can't see the photo you're about to take. Um, if you were to hold up a camera and take a photo 
and in your eye be able to see the actual uh, image that the camera is seeing, that photo would be so much e easier to take. Um, Judd Weiss, who's a good uh, friend of the Institute, I believe also, um, he, uh, him and I spoke at length about this. He said that the problem is the latency where he needs to be able to see what that photo looks like immediately. Um, and the device has, as you saw on the screen, some latency with its transmission. Um, if that was to advance further and, and that kind of capability, you could see this being used with a, another camera. You, I mean, in the case of um, the glass, you could technically utilize them in, uh, in, in an artistic way, in my opinion, um, by actually placing a grid, and it allows uh, an artist, in this case, to actually apply the golden rule uh, much easier for them, or even like a photographer. Um, but that, other than that, it's just a grid. I mean, you could bring a transparent grid with you and not pay $1,500 <laughs> for it, right? So, um, you know, paper and pen is, is better in a lot of scenarios. Um, and so in this case, a grid, <laughs> a, a grid is, in this case, uh, paper, you know, a paper grid is a, a lot cheaper and probably a lot easier to utilize than, um, you know, on a Google Glass. So um, I'm going to take the, uh, the moderator's prerogative one more time and ask one more question. But for those of you watching the live stream, this is your last call to tweet in any questions. Then we'll move to those. Um, so who do you see as the ideal user for Glass? Is it just for techies um, at this point in the immediate future? Um, do you see it as, something, as a viable tool for more activists, uh, the general public? More your companies. Uh, right now, we see it only being utilized by techies, specifically developers, and people who have a really specialized use case for it. Um, as uh, as Peter was talking about, uh, you know, f f uh, perhaps doctors in some cases who can't use their hands but want to live transmit what they exactly what they're seeing from their perspective. Um, I think though that kind of looking at who can use glass right now is the wrong way to approach it in terms of whether it's interesting or whether it's worth developing on. Uh, it's who's going to be using technology like glass over the next five to 10 years. Um, and I think that is everyone in this room um, within 10 years. And so is it going to be Google Glass, you know, model six? Maybe, maybe not. Um, there's plenty of other competitors, I think, who are going to be in this space. Um, but I think eventually um, you aren't going to have two separate devices. You're going to have one device and, um, and, and everyone's gonna have it, or many people are gonna have it. Yeah, more on Ian's point, I mean, the Palm existed before the iPad. Mm -hmm. The um, Microsoft invented the tablet in 2002, and now it's finally becoming a big thing. Um, uh, just their marketing team is really bad. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I actually, I'd love to see police officers wear these, in my opinion. Um, and actually uh, have these constantly recording. Um, it removes liability issues for the government officials and it creates accountability for our government. Um, and I think that would, um, I think it, it's a great accountability tool um, that can be utilized. Um, on top of that, I can see, um, like I mentioned, um, firefighters utilizing um, this tool to you know, see blueprints of a house. Um, I can see, um, a doctor recording their uh, surgery um, for liability reasons. Uh, I mean, so many doctors are sued for malpractice in this case. Um, you know, if they're having a recording device while they're performing the procedure, 
um, you know, it could be, uh, you know, a great tool uh, to protect themselves or even have a, a, a second, um, have another individual um, streaming in another doctor um, while they're performing the procedure to make sure that they're not performing any kind of error. Um, and I see a lot of, um, I'm sure there's going to be a ton of other applications. Uh, I mentioned one earlier, um, an individual who's quadriplegic would be fantastic for. Let's say you have a translator with you or you're, you know, you're a diplomat. Um, in this case, you could have a second, you know, pair of Google glasses on, um, with the, uh, with the translator. Um, so they can verify and make sure that they're translating everything correctly. Uh, cause there could be huge barriers even for, you know, some of the best translators. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, lot of ideas and actually I mean you can start thinking of them and you can start you know pitch them on the internet and people will build them I mean they might become very wealthy off of the ideas but you're making the world a better place so and I, I mean I'd love to put one of these in the hands of every activist that that I can find um, you can imagine if you're setting up a room for an event um, and the person who's running it is not there I could have it on and be uh, Google chatting with them and show them the event and they could say, actually, no, move the flag over there, and I don't like that chair. And by the time they get there, it's as if they've already been there. Um, you could be at an event and have five people on your team there, um, all in a Google chat, transmitting the event, uh, the video of it, what they're seeing, with their earpiece in, and somebody giving them uh, commands where to move, where to shoot from. Um, any activist, I think, could really find this to be helpful. When it advances, I know they're going to find it to be helpful. Great. Um, let's move on to questions from Twitter. Uh, at Forward89 asks, uh, is it currently possible or practical to live stream events using Glass? What do you think of the possibilities? I don't think it would be practical at this point. Certainly but, possible. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, he's right. It's, it's possible, but not practical. How, how many minutes have we have we been? We're over forty-five minutes. Yeah, uh, we're just gonna ask a couple no, no, questions. No, I'm bringing that up because it would oh, have, it would have cut off by now if you, right. if for example, you'd been. Oh uh, yeah. Recording. And that's from a full charge. Yeah. Right. So I think we recorded one of our panels that uh, we hosted um, inside the Capitol building uh, with the Google Glass, and it died about twenty-eight uh, minutes in, um, and that's video recording the entire time. Um, if you can imagine. Uh, one of the only applications that's built to live stream this right now is through YouTube, and the compression is not very good at this time. Uh, because if you imagine it has to bounce off a wireless router or uh, it's tethering off your phone. Um, so it, uh, bandwidth issues and uh, compression issues are probably uh, making it non-feasible at this time. But in, in the future, it's going to be uh, readily available. Now, non-live stream, you could use it. Uh, we went out with a reporting team and ask kids on campus what they thought of it. We had a track camera with us that was recording from a wide shot, and then the glass was recording from a close-up shot. And so the reporter was asking them what they thought about it, and we were able to use both the feeds. But the total record time on the device was, was less than an hour, um, and it had already died at that point. Um, at Ty Mortensen asks, what can be done to protect individuals' rights to use these emerging technologies and prevent governments uh, from abusing those rights? In, in my view, it's um, hardware manufacturers and software manufacturers putting, you know, basically being conscious of, of how they're 
devices have been used in the past and uh, voluntarily putting in uh, some controls and markers on their end. Um, I think, you know, the example I used earlier, I think it's the clearest one is making sure that it's always a hardware light that comes on. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of other things. That's the main one that, that I would put forward. And I think if, if the, uh, the hardware manufacturers take leadership on that, um, I don't think there'd be an argument for government intervention, even if some of them don't, if, the, if a lot of the big players do on their own. Um, at Jojo got, mo got Mojo asked, can you take selfies with Google Glass? Um, you you yeah. can take a meta okay. selfie. So you can yeah. take so it you in can, a camera or a mirror. Yeah, so you can take you can have the phone up, right? And then be taking a photo of yourself and then take a, just blink with the Google Glass and take a photo of yourself looking in, yeah. at yourself. So it's like, you know, it's very meta. That's like to start a whole different trend there, you know. You take selfies of selfies. That's, right, 2015, right? <laughs> so and then uh, we'll take one more question from Twitter and then cut off the live stream here and see what you advocate for. I, uh, I think uh, corporate, like I said earlier, is the biggest thing. I mean, if, if we can have corporate responsibility um, where Google is able to take a, a stand and actually stand against them, government's always going to want more data, more power. It's inevitable. That's how governments have always worked. But corporations don't have to give it to them. So from that perspective, I would say that. Uh, um. In regards to uh, policy, I could see um, lots of governments wanting this ability um, for their own use and removing their citizen uh, citizens from utilizing this type of tool. Um, and I don't know how about that that will go, um, or even vice versa. I could see um, some kind of mandate actually um, of individuals uh, having to wear these forms of devices. Uh, in the future, maybe in a you know in a more um, coercive government, um, but like Peter already said, uh, you know the states, you know states um, have one usually one trend and they grow, um, and so uh, you know organizations like this exist to restrain it, and they have to create you know good policy in order to restrain its growth. I would expect kind of two competing uh, desires by regulators. One from folks who are privacy focused, the ability to control your own data that's recorded on this device or any others and purge it when, when you desire to. Um, I, can, I can see them being a small minority, however, compared to the legislators and regulators who want that data to be saved forever and usable against you uh, at any point in the future. Um, my preference certainly uh, would be that Hardware and software manufacturers give you the option to control your own data uh, locally on the device, to share that data with the cloud whenever you choose to, and to purge it also whenever you choose to because it's stored only on the device itself. Um, I would hope that hardware and software vendors kind of take the lead on that so that they're not later forced to by government or... I think uh, on this point as well, I think that there's a lot of distrust within the tech community uh, with the government at this time, especially with the NSA's uh, revelations by um, Edward Snowden. And um, you're going to see a lot of applications and devices become becoming much more decentralized, um, how these devices are hosting data. Um, already, you know, if you want to Google this, there's actually a a web platform, uh, actually a web language that's being built. It's called Ethereum. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but um, it's basically um, 
creating a peer-to-peer -peer web language um, to uh, basically start creating a decentralization of how devices are hosting data. Um, and you know, the same thing can be true. We want to, the same way that you have um, your property rights, nobody can really take away this you know, um, cell phone from me. And if they did, that would be theft. Um, the same way um, with your personal data, um, the idea is if you want to, like if I wanted to destroy this cell phone, you know, I could throw it in a microwave, I could throw it in salt water, corrode it. Um, but I really can't do that with my images um, right now. Um, I can't basically, the internet can't forget me. Um, I'm there. It's like kind of, um, it's like kind of like this seminar right now, it's gonna be there. Um, so <clears throat> the idea is that a lot of people are trying to advocate a way to uh, allow the internet to forget you. And the only way you can do that is by decentralizing the hosting of the data, um, which is going to be an interesting subject and in how uh, that'll be solved. Um, but there are a lot of great programmers they are already building these tools. Um, individuals who trusted the government, um, and they no longer do because of uh, Snowden. Okay, with that, we're going to uh, transition into an off-the-record discussion and give those of you here in the room an opportunity to ask your questions. For everyone watching the uh, live stream, thanks for tuning in today. We hope to see you on May 1st for our new media lunch on finding and engaging your audience on Tumblr.